0: My name is Keith Beavers, and I woke up this morning thinking, "Man, how awesome is like Star Wars?" What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode eighteen of Vine Pair's Wine One Hundred and One Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair, and. Gilda, Which way do you, Chardonnay? I feel like Chardonnay has kind of like been part of our lives in the American wine culture for so long. Let's talk about what this grape is. What kind of wine does it make? Where did it come from? How do, we, how do we understand this very ubiquitous grape? This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by William Hill Estate Winery. To experience William Hill Estate Winery is to discover another side of Napa Valley. A place where extraordinary vineyards are tucked away along the serene Silverado Trail. Those are the best vineyards, the tucked away vineyards. A place where you can still discover an incredible wine for the first time. A Napa Valley that is off the beaten path. At William Hill Estate, we believe the beauty of wine is actually in its simplicity, sincerity, sun, soil, and the power of human hands and minds. And that's the spirit in which we make our wines. As true to nature and its fruits as we can. William State Winery, Pair With Life. Does it sound weird to say I feel like Chardonnay is kind of part of uh, who we are as American wine drinkers? It came from somewhere else. But when it got here, we almost redefined this thing, this, 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 this wine made from this grape, and kind of made it our own in a way. And that's really kind of... That's what Chardonnay is all about. It's like nature gave us this one wine, white wine grape. And it said, you know what? Plant it wherever you want. (laughs) Do whatever you want with it. It's going to make a cool wine. Just have fun. And oh, did we have fun. Chardonnay is so popular in the American consciousness that some people don't even know Number one, that it's from France, specifically Burgundy. And other, some people actually don't even know that it's a variety. They believe it's just the wine Chardonnay. That's how much it's ingrained in our culture. I mean, it came up from humble beginnings, like a long time ago. <laughs> and then in one decade, the 1980s, this is when it all went nuts. In the 1980s, the popularity of Chardonnay around the world went so crazy the plantings quadrupled around the planet to over well over 400,000 acres of, of land under vine. It's a lot of land under vine from one variety. And this gradually increased till about 2010, when there were well over half a million acres of Chardonnay on the planet. It's kind of like leveled out since then. But I don't think that there's a country out there that makes wine that does not have some sort of Chardonnay. I think every country that has a wine-making region in it makes Chardonnay in some form. That's how popular it's been. I mean, I was buying wine years ago and I've had Chardonnays from, I mean, everywhere. I mean, everywhere you would, even like the emerging regions that you don't really know that much of at the time, there's Chardonnay coming from there. I mean, there's always, there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, the popularity of Chardonnay is just undeniable and it's gone through so many different trends and fashions throughout the years that it's just kind of spread all over the place. But also there's something about Chardonnay, like I said earlier, there's a malleability about Chardonnay that is unique to this variety more so than others. So let's get into the, where this thing came from and why it is the way it is and where are the places in the world that you're going to find different kinds of Chardonnay styles on the American market that you can go and find and enjoy? Let's start from the beginning, beginning, and work our way to the 1980s when things got crazy. Totally awesome. Last episode, we were talking about Burgundy. We were talking about how the Burgundians came from Scandinavia and made their way into the Rhone Valley, and when they got there, there was the Roman Empire that was already there. Well, w- during that time, the, the one of the... One of the emperors of that time, his name was Marcus Aurelius Probus. He was only emperor for like six years. But initially, he was a general in this area of northern France, holding the line for the Roman Empire in this area. He was, he successfully uh, conquered all these tribes, the Vandals, the Burgundians, all of them that came through and tried to take over this land. He successfully kind of brought them down. But... When at, at, when he brought them down, he then folded them into the empire. So he was trying to take all these tribes and, and just kind of, he was a very conscientious emperor, which is hard to even say because he did kill a bunch of people. But um, what he did in this area, though, was kind of important, is he wanted to make sure that no matter whether they were under the, the thumb of the Roman Empire or part of the Roman Empire or being folded into the Roman Empire that everybody had resources to live because he thought that, well, if, if we have people that, that, that are, are suffering, they're going to have uprisings and all this. So he was pretty cool about that. And whenever peacetime would come around, he always made sure that his army was always working towards something to you know, advance the, the life in that area through building towns or maintaining agriculture. And one of the most important pieces of agriculture at the time was wine because water wasn't necessarily as safe as wine was. So he expanded land under vine considerably during his six-year reign. There's a theory that he actually brought a grape from his home region where Croatia is today to this region to kind of help this along. The name of that grape is Gue Blanc. There are no real indications that Pinot Noir or the other kind of initial grape we talked about, Sauvignon, was around at this time. But what is known is that those three grapes, Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, and Guay Blanc, were the dominant varieties for winemaking in the beginning of the Middle Ages. What's also known through DNA profiling is these three varieties gave birth to so many grapes we know today. And Guay Blanc is important because it is the most prolific to the point that it's called the Casanova of grapes by historians. There are over 81 varieties out there with the Guay Blanc genetic imprint in them. And Probus had Guay Blanc planted all over the place. It was kind of his sort of, the grape you gave to the peasants for them to have, whether they want to eat the grape, make it into wine, whatever they wanted to do with it. So it was everywhere. And whether it was brought into this region, or if it was like just laying in wait, through genetic research, at some point, Guay Blanc cross-pollinates with Pinot, and the result is the birth of all these different varieties, and one of them will one day be known as Chardonnay. So Chardonnay was born here in Burgundy, and as far as it popping up, being named, and being made into wine, um, it's, there's a bunch of documentation out there. I think in the 12th century, it pops up some, pops up in uh, Chablis, and it's said to have made its way down to Beaune. Bon. Um, there's an ind- indication that it may have popped up somewhere in the Maconnais in a town called Chardonnay, where it's named after. Um, there is, I mean, I think in the, like the late 17th century is when it pops up in Burgundy proper, like in the Cote d'Or. But no matter what it steadily became obvious that this was the white wine grape that was going to dominate this region. And eventually Pinot Noir and Chardonnay came to be those grapes. Other grapes that came from the cross-pollination of these three varieties, they were around. There was a grape called Aligote, which is still very popular in, in Burgundy in a little uh, town called, a little uh, AOC called Bouzeron in the Cote de Chalonaise the grape Gamay comes from all of this craziness and there's an entire wine region dedicated just to the grape Gamay. It's called Beaujolais. Sometimes it's considered part of the Burgundy region. Sometimes it's considered part of the Rhone. It's kind of right there in the middle between the Rhone and Burgundy, but this is where Chardonnay got its start. This is the, this is the place that the rest of the world looked to, to emulate when making Chardonnay and actually, in doing so, created their own versions and styles, like in California. Little old Guay Blanc, really no longer a part of the equation. It's actually, like, considered a museum grape. I mean, it doesn't really, nobody really makes it anymore. I'm sure it's around somewhere, but not a, nearly enough to be on a commercial market. And Savignan is just across the Côte d'Or in another region in the Jura Mountains in an AOC called the Jura. But it's here in Burgundy where the kind of, the word I used earlier, malleability of Chardonnay becomes extremely apparent. I'm sure Burgundy lovers might argue with me about this, but the Pinot Noir examples throughout the Cote d'Or and, and, and Burgundy, there, there are significant different styles throughout, but they're more subtle than Chardonnay. From the south in the Maconnet to Bonne in the Cote d'Or, to Chablis all the way north, 62 miles north of Beaune, Chardonnay takes on all different kinds of styles and personalities. It's kind of crazy. And what we see here is this grape is like plant me wherever. I'm gonna do something cool no matter what. Down in the Mâconnet, which is really one of the most affordable burgundy wine regions in Burgundy, <laughs> subregions in Burgundy, the, the wines there are in, are grow in low-lying areas, so there's not as much elevation. And they're often not oaked, so they have this really nice, clean, soft, refreshing depth to them. They're often like best in their youth, and they're good sort of everyday wines, and they have that kind of apple pear thing going on, which is a very constant aroma profile of Chardonnay. And and just north of the meconnais and Cote de Chalones, it takes on a whole different form and in, in the form of sparkling wine. Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are sometimes blended, or it's sometimes all Pinot Noir, but they have these beautiful, very refreshing, nice, broad palate sparkling wines that are very affordable. And north of that, in the southern department of the Côte d'Or, Côte de Bone, the slope of Bone, this is it. This is the place where the new world looked to to make wines that emulated this. So when we talk about Pinot Noir, especially north in the Côte de Nuit, the northern department of the, of the Côte d'Or, and all the small parcels of land, and there's such a there's a, such a reverence for Pinot Noir in that area, sort of like, you know, depending on where it's grown, it actually translates the soil, it's a whole terroir thing. Well, the thing is Chardonnay does the same thing, but it does it mostly in Beaune. Beaune has eight Grand Cru vineyards, and it has 42 Premier Cru vineyards. And the Grand Cru vineyards have names that you probably recognize. Pomard, Volnay, Pouligny-Montrachet, Merceau. And just in these eight Grand Cru and in, in 40-odd Premier Cru, Chardonnay is, is different in these areas from v- vineyard to vineyard, from soft, supple, buttery with minerality to big and deep and broad and wide with like dark oaky caramel notes it, it butterscotch it's they're all over the place and these are the this is the place where chardonnay can age for quite some time of course there are also village wines that you can enjoy for not as a you know not as expensive and then 62 miles northwest like i was saying in in the chablis region Chardonnay goes in a completely different direction. Instead of being anything like they are in the South, this is the most angular, focused, clean, crisp, like you're licking granite rock, stainless steel Chardonnay. It might be some of the most refreshing Chardonnay you've ever had. And of course, Chablis has its own Grand Cru. It's it's unique because it's a Grand Cru that consists of seven climat. So it could be seven Grand Cru, but it's often considered just one. It's a little bit confusing. Outside of Burgundy, um, in France, really, I mean, Lendoc, Languedoc is a, is a place that does some really good affordable uh, Chardonnays, but they're, it's only been doing it recently in the past 20 years or so. What's really a big deal is the Chardonnay that's being grown in the Champagne region. It's a very important ingredient in Champagne. Champagne, the sparkling wines made in Champagne consist of three varieties, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and a grape called Pinot Meunier. The Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier are red, and Chardonnay is the only white. And Chardonnay is very important in that blend, so much that other sparkling wines around the world have incorporated Chardonnay into their uh, mix because of the success it's had in the Champagne region. For example, the Cavas of Spain, the sparkling wines of Spain, those wines are made with with uh, three native grapes, uh, Charello, Paraeda, and a grape called Macabeu. Um, nowadays, they allow Chardonnay to be blended in because of it gives kind of a nice roundness and heft to the blend. And like I said, Chardonnay is made all over the world, <laughs> so you're going to see it from everywhere. So Instead of going through all of it, which we shouldn't, I'm going to mention one place in Italy, like I always do, Friuli. Not always easy to find, but if you can find Chardonnay from Friuli, it is incredible. It is wonderful. But we have to talk about California. We just got to talk about California. Because this is the Chardonnay you know. This is the Chardonnay that mom and dad drank. This is the Chardonnay that grandma and grandpa drank. This is the Chardonnay that we understand as Chardonnay. In California, Chardonnay is kind of a Johnny-come-lately grape. It doesn't really get recognized as anything significant until the 1940s, where the Wente brothers in Livermore Valley of the central coast of California really, really loved Chardonnay. And they did this, well, they did something called mass selection, where they were able to, through growing the grape and picking it and isolating it, they found a clone. They developed a clone of Chardonnay that was hardy enough to actually thrive in this kind of California sun. And they called it the Wenti clone. And that became very popular. Actually, to, to this day, a lot of Chardonnays in California are made from the Wenti clone. This sparked some interest, of course, in, in the grape, especially that it worked so well in, in, in the state. And in 1957, in Sonoma, the Hansel winery was the first to be recognized to make Chardonnay with new oak exposure. That kind of gives us that sort of oaky vibe that we know today. But that wasn't really the norm. Not everybody could get barrels. I mean the Hansel winery actually got barrels from France. They were actually trying to like really kind of emulate what happened in Bone. But through the 1970s, especially in the early 70s, winemaking for Chardonnay was more stainless steel. It was like it had it was more like the Chablis or the Macon way of making wine, it was not as oaked. And when it was, it was in a small amount. And then in 1976, there was a contest just outside of Paris that put California wines up against French wines. And a California Chardonnay, a 1973 vintage Chateau Montalena Chardonnay, won out over a Burgundian white That was it, man. That is our watershed moment. That moment right there, that is when California and the United States became a wine-making country. It was really the first time since Prohibition that we actually had to recognize like, okay, we can do this. And this is what ushered in what Jedi winemaster Jancis Robinson called the new gold rush (laughs) because this made Chardonnay so popular that by 1980, um, Napa Valley becomes the first viticultural area recognized in California. And within that decade, everything I said in the beginning of this episode happens. Everything quadruples. It just goes nuts. So that by when the 21st century hits, there are well over a thousand different Chardonnays being made in California alone. So that's mind boggling. And here in the United States, we don't have the strict rules of yield that they do in Europe. So we went nuts. And we have, since then, we have, like I said, we've redefined Chardonnay. Because the thing about Chardonnay is, this is why it's nature's nature's like, here, have this. This is yours. Have fun. It's because it just so happens that it is one of the most malleable grapes out there, like I said before. You can do anything to it. You can grow it in all kinds of soils. You can oak it, not oak it. You can let malolactic conversion happen. You can block malolactic conversion. You can, you can barrel ferment it. You can put it in stainless steel. You could, you could botricize it and turn it into a, to a dessert wine. You can make it into a sparkling wine. It is just one of the most playful varieties out there. It does really well in all different kinds of climates. I mean, yes, there are restrictions and there are limits, But this is such a, this is why California went nuts with it. And that's why it's all over the world. It's because it can actually grow in all these different places and make something kind of cool. If the winemaker knows what they're doing, they can make something special no matter where they are in a wine growing country. And I guess in California, we can kind of focus on a couple places here. I mean, you have Napa, which is one of the, has some of the most Chardonnay in it. Then you have the central coast Monterey County, which has beautiful sort of buttery, soft sort of almost sea, sea spray kind of like Chardonnays. Then you have Santa Barbara, which is a little bit, you know, they have that kind of fruit forward kind of Chardonnay. And then Sonoma, of course, which has like really big sort of oaky Chardonnays. And now there's also the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is getting very popular. And they because it's mountain fruit, it has very kind of lean, very beautiful Chardonnay. The thing about Chardonnay is like, in these places that I just mentioned, when it comes to Chardonnay, It is one of those grapes that can translate the soil to the glass, but it depends on how much of that Chardonnay is made. When Chardonnay is made above, let's say, 50 hectoliters per hectare, a hectare is three and a half acres, then it starts to kind of just be a fruit-forward Chardonnay, which we all kind of know about, and you put some oak on it, and that's what we recognize. If you make Chardonnay with a lower yield, like below 50, like 30 to 35, let's say, or 40 hectoliters per hectare. What you're doing there is you are producing a smaller amount that allows the Chardonnay to translate the soil in which, or the the terroir in which it was made. So that's why some Chardonnays are very expensive because they're made in very small plots and sort of hidden vineyards around some, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing um, when you have these very sort of low-yielding Chardonnays in, in California and what, they're very stunning wines in, in wherever they're grown. I've had, a great I've great I've had great Chardonnay from Temecula Valley. But the thing is because there's no real rules here, Chardonnays in, in California range from like fruit forward and clean and steely to just like straight up butterscotch, 14% alcohol. It's a very wide range and you just kind of gotta know you know the region or you gotta know the winemaker. It's 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 kind of how how it works out. But the cool thing is there is so much California Chardonnay on our market. You can just buy all different kinds and check them out. Start from the places that I just mentioned and see which which ones you like. Maybe you like them all. And yes, there is Chardonnay being grown in whatever wine region there is in the United States. If there's a wine region in the United States, Chardonnay is grown there. Whether it's California, New York, Virginia, Texas, Wisconsin, Idaho, you name it, Chardonnay is being grown. But It's in California where it really started to shine and show us our American style of Chardonnay. So there's your little crash course in Chardonnay. That's where it came from. That's how it got to where it is today. And the places that I spoke about are the places you're going to find and that are really plentiful. There are Chardonnays from everywhere, but start there. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like to type, go ahead and send a you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePairKeith. I do all my stuff and stories. And also, you've got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at vine pair and don't forget to listen to the vine pair podcast which is hosted by erica adam and zach it's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week now for some credits how about that wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly keith beavers at the vine pair headquarters in new york city i want to give a big old shout out to co-founders adam teeter and josh mellon i also want to thank daniel grinberg for making the most legit wine 101 logo And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pair staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by William Hill Estate Wine experience William Hill Estate Winery is to discover another side of Napa Valley, a place where extraordinary vineyards are tucked away along the serene Silverado Trail. Those are the best vineyards, the tucked away vineyards. A place where you can still discover an incredible wine for the first time, a Napa Valley that is off the beaten path. At William Hill Estate, we believe the beauty of wine is actually in its simplicity, sincerity, sun, soil, and the power of human hands and minds that's the spirit in which we make our wines. As true to nature and its fruits as we can. William State Winery, pair with Love.